Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, <laughs> I, was, I was literally going to joke about that, but you did it anyway. So um, if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter as we continue our series. Um, I could not have planned this uh, any better. Uh, we're talking about end times today. Um, my, oldest daughter is, <laughs> my oldest daughter is living with us uh, until her wedding this summer, and uh, she works in the service industry, and so we've been talking about how it's just been dead in there and, you know, nobody's coming in. And she woke up kind of late yesterday as we we're laying around the house and she was kind of bemoaning that. And I said, well, did you look outside? And at our house, we had a good amount of snow out there. And she turns to me, she goes, is this the end of the world, Dad? Is Jesus coming back? And, um, you know, it is, I really couldn't have planned this any, any better. Uh, it is well with my soul. We chose a few weeks ago, because of the line uh, which comes here from Second Peter and Isaiah, we wanted to sing that song, and it just, you know, obviously ministers to our heart today. Uh, somebody posted the other day, I mean, honestly, the last week has been like a third grade uh, term paper or something, or a writing paper, you know, and, and the person posted, you know, first of all, there's a virus, and everybody gets sick and gets really scared, and then we run out of toilet paper. And then we have four weeks of spring break, and it, and it snows. You know, it was like, uh, kids couldn't have pictured this any better. Um, so uh, we are going to do things a little bit different uh, this morning. Um, we're in here in Second Peter. I'm actually, those of you who have been around, I'm going to do everything I said I wasn't going to do. Um, I keep, when we come to these passages, I always say, I'm not going to put that end time chart up there that you always see. Um, I hate those things, but I'm going to do it this morning. Um, and so let's look at the passage real quick. We're going to talk about the different theories of how Christ's coming comes about. And uh, we're going to, I'll share with you what our, our uh, doctrinal statement says. This is the one that we hold to here as a church. And I just want us to think about it uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to read, uh, we did last week, I'm not going to read all of chapter 3, but at least from verse 1. Uh, down to verse uh, 13 kind of covers what we're talking about this morning. Specifically, we're really just going to be in verses 8 and 10, but let's kind of give some context here. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, follow their own, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, I always say, um, I'm not going to do this, but uh, here are the end time charts that everybody loves uh, and I hate. Um, there is basically uh, four different schools of thought. And, and why I share this with you, here's the reality. Each of the way that we think things are going to end impacts how we live today. Okay, and you know, uh, let me just give you an example. You know, um, the first day of class. Uh, at school. Uh, students are, you know, usually upbeat and excited about the semester. Um, the day of the final, uh, students don't come in with the same expectation and excitement, okay, um, because they know what's in store for them that day. And so sometimes the way that we think uh, impacts how we're going to live today. So these aren't on your notes, but the first one we call an amillennial point of view. So the little blue uh, there is the cross. And so we're looking at from the time Jesus died and rose again, moving forward in an amillennial view. This is not the view our church holds to. We are living in the church age. And so there's certain things that people in the end times chart, they have to put, when, when does the marriage supper of the lamb, when, when, what happens when you die? What, where, where's the uh, kingdom of God? Where is the judgment? All these different things. And so in all millennialism, or another thing is what happens to all the promises made to Israel. In all millennialism, they would say the church and Israel are the same thing. And so all the promises are being, that were promised to Israel are being fulfilled in the church. And we're just living in this, the marriage supper of the Lamb's going on in heaven and we're living on earth. There's just two things going on. The millennial period's going on in heaven and we're living on earth. And one day God's going to come and then we're just escorted into eternity. Okay? That's one view. Another view, which really nobody, very few people hold to anymore, I, I think. I can't find them, uh, is post-millennial. Now, post-millennial believes that there's going to be a huge revival and that so many people are going to be saved and going to church and living out the kingdom of God that it's going to usher in Christ's second coming. Now, just thinking of these first two views that I've just kind of introduced. Amillennial, we're just kind of waiting around for Christ's return, okay? Um, but we're living in this world, and so do you think that they are pro-justice and helping out in the community? They are to, a, to an extent. They, they, they are more so than us, believe it or not. Rev now this group, right, they're active. They're, they're really active. Let's bring this about. Now, we hold to a premillennial view. And our view is things are just going to get worse. Um, you know, this, this earth is, uh, you know, going to, you know, H-E double hockey sticks on a, you know, whatever. And so we are awaiting a time when, 
when the seven-year tribulation comes up. The church is raptured various times during the tribulation, depending on your view. And there's seven years of literal trans, uh, of tribulation and a thousand years, literally, of a millennial. Now, other views would say that was just figurative. Those things are both existing for all of us. But we say it's literal, and there's going to be seven years, and then Christ's second coming, where he ushers in eternity. Now, the thing is, you know, we are often put into, if we kind of think things are going to get worse, sometimes when things get worse, it's funny, people in the church are like, oh, good, Jesus is coming soon. Look, we kind of embrace bad, and I don't think that's good, <laughs> okay? Um, and so I, I think that when we look at uh, the, there's a really great video, and I, I didn't bring it, uh, a Bible Project, Heaven and Earth. And uh, they did it, this was the very first video that they did because it was the questions that they were getting. And uh, I encourage you to go listen to it. I think we've shown it in different places here before. You know, when we think of heaven and earth, when we think of heaven, what do we think of? You know, the celestial kingdom. Okay, when we think of earth, we think of this. And they point out like some of these views are more our views. Uh, For a person that existed before, you know, long, long ago, what is heaven? It's just it's everything up there. What is earth? Anything below my feet. That's just those things. And you remember in the creation account, oh, I almost blew it. Tribulation views, we, uh, we have the rapture happening at different places. I'm not going to go through those. So we have these two, heaven and earth. And we always think of them as separate. But remember in the garden, they weren't. Heaven and earth existed together. God walked with his people in the cool of the day. Um, Now, there is separation today. And why is there separation? Because of sin. Um, And so God's realm is his presence, his goodness, his justice, his beauty. We live in sin and injustice and ugliness. And really, the story is about how these two things are coming together. And this combined space is often represented by the temple. It's represented by Jesus being the temple. And um, I think there's a better illustration than some of the ones that we use. And I've never really lived in this type of situation. Uh, we have kind of a basement, but my parents live in it, so we can't call it this. But, you know, you have the pictures of the real old basements back in the Midwest or something like that, you know, that you don't really live in. Maybe your washer and dryer is down there. You know, it's kind of damp and stuff like that. And, and that's where the mice, the rats are. And if it's a really bad spot, I don't know if this is Midwest, maybe I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But when you've seen the, the, the movies or whatever, and they're going down that little staircase, you know, and they flip the light on, and all the little things scurry. I'm already not going down there at that point in time. When heaven and earth come together, this isn't always about God just removing his people and then just blasting everybody else. When God comes, it's like he turns the light on. And those of us who are followers of Jesus go, oh, praise God, he's here. But you know what? Those who are living in darkness, they scurry. They're literally running from God. And God's judgment does come upon them. But it's the combination of these two spaces. And so whatever theory we're looking at, What we're really interested in is is Christ's return. Now, we believe there's going to be a tribulation. And so these letters that are written, there's just this repeated conflict that goes on until Christ's return. 
whether it's a literal seven years of tribulation or whether it's just tribulation. Um, that, these letters were written, Peter wrote this, to people who were being persecuted. Were they living in the, the, the literal seven-year tribulation? No. Were they living in a time of tribulation? Yeah, they were losing their jobs. They were being persecuted. Some were being killed. This is probably pre-Nero just a little bit. It's going to get worse. And so Peter is saying, look, don't panic. Christ is still coming. Whatever this time of conflict is. So whatever's happening in our world, don't be surprised by it. It's not new. It's why I read that quote by Martin Luther. It's not new to the church. These things have been going on for centuries. So we're waiting for Christ's return. Now, looking at this passage, he says in verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He is quoting, or at least alluding to, Psalm chapter 90. So that is from Psalm chapter 90. So I'm going to turn over there. um, And I I want to just read Psalm 90 to you. And as I read it again this morning, I thought, man, it's just so amazing. This stuff could have been written yesterday. You, You just go, man, we live in such different times. Do we? Psalm chapter 90. Now, there's a, uh, an introduction to Psalm chapter 90. This is part of the inspired text. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, if Moses literally penned this, this is one of the oldest psalms in our psalm book. This is, this is old. Lord, Yahweh, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now just think about that for a moment. Moses is writing this. Moses never made it to the promised land. They have lived in deserts. He has lived in Egypt. He has lived uh, uh, out of Egypt in his time of of being a um, shepherd and coming back in. And he says, Lord, Yahweh, you know where we've lived with you. Before the mountains were brought forth or even or ever you had formed the earth and the worlds, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight but are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years, just like that. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For you were brought to an end by your anger. Uh, for we were brought to an end by your anger. For your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Just listen to what Moses is saying. Um, you have set our iniquities. You see them all, God. Our secret sins, things that nobody knows about, they're in your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength of day, 80. 
yet, they, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Was life any easier then? Who considers the power of your anger or wrath according to, your, uh, to, to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. Make us glad as for many days you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So just in this psalm, just real briefly, I'm preaching from two texts. Uh, first thing that, that uh, the psalmist tells us, Moses tells us, is that God is eternal. You're everlasting. You're from everlasting to everlasting. I don't know how else to say that. God is eternal. Now, when we talk about God's eternity, that means that he always existed in all times past, and he will exist in the future forever. There was no beginning or end to God. But he specifically says, our time on earth is temporal. In fact, he's pretty specific here, and it made some of you a little nervous when I read it, and it's from God's word, so I couldn't help it. But he says, our life is 70 years. I won't make you raise your hand if you've... Or maybe 80, you know, if you live well. It's temporal. And yet it's always a surprise. Oh, I'm shocked. Moses wrote this years and years and years ago. Man's biggest problem is sin. In verses 7 through 11, uh, for we are brought to an end by your anger, your wrath. Why? Because our iniquities, because everything that we do is in the presence of God. He sees it. He knows it. And when we say everything, we mean everything we physically do, everything we think, everything we ponder, God is aware of. And so that sin is always before us. That's the problem. And man's greatest need, man's greatest need is for God's love and grace. So he says, teach us to number our days. Return. He's calling for God to return. Have pity. What is he asking for? Mercy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Give us Give us mercy and grace. Make us be glad. And so some of the things that he wants us to do and to think about is to live in light of the fact that our, name, our days are numbered. Teach us to number our days. He's not telling you to be, you know, have this kind of a negative outlook in life. Well, I'm going to die someday. Bible says it. No, he's saying, you know that your time on this earth is limited, so live accordingly. Think about it. Know that you have a limited amount of time. Plan for it. Then he says, we should seek God's mercy. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity, have mercy on your servants. 
The reality is our sin brings death for every person. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death for everyone. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. Our mercy is found in the... Moses is looking forward. He says, God, have mercy on us. And God is already answering that prayer in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us. Third, lean lean in on God's love. I, I really love verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that may we, may we rejoice and be glad in our days. Look, just enjoy what God has given us. Enjoy the relationships you have. Enjoy the mercy that God has given you. We always are looking at what we don't have. Look at what you do have and lean into God's love and really, in a sense, choose to be joyful over that. Make us glad. For as many days as you have afflicted us. Do you see, do you see what the psalmist is saying there? It's, it's totally opposed. Make us glad for the days you've afflicted us. He doesn't say make us glad for the good days. He says make us glad in the bad days. There's affliction. There's trouble. There's things happening. Lord, Lord, help us to choose joy. Help us to be glad. Our response to any tragedy should be different than the world's. We should choose joy. We should look at what God is doing. Make us glad. Uh, And then he says, let your work be shown to your servants. What's Moses saying? He's God, help us to see what you're doing in the midst of all this. That is a great prayer in a day like this. He said, Pastor, how should we pray in this? Here's how you should pray. Let your work be shown to your servants. God, what is it that you are doing? Uh, Mr. Rogers said it this way. He said in the, the difficult times, he said his mom told him in all these tragedy to look for the helpers. Like, Look at what God is doing through people. Look at what God is doing. So look Look for it. And then we should be a part of God's kingdom. He says, let your work be shown and your glorious power to their children. Then he says, verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Let us see what you are doing and then we come in and participate in that and God help us to be a part of your kingdom. So again, in the midst of, of whatever is going on, afflictions, death, sin, live in the light of, look, one day all of us are going to die. And so because of that, because I know that one day I'm going to die and I'm going to stand before God, while I'm living, I seek the mercy of God. And I trust in the person of Jesus Christ then I lean in on God's love and I, I choose joy in the midst of the most difficult, time, difficult times and I try to look and see what God is doing and be a part of it. The Lord is not like us. He's eternal. 
what seems like an eternity. It's just so funny. Uh, it just depends on your view, right? Here in Oregon, okay, Corbin University, I get an extra week of spring break, okay? None of my students are upset about that. Well, there's, probably, there's always one or two, right? And okay, two weeks of spring break, extra week I don't have to drive down to Salem. Praise Jesus, I'm, I'm great with that, right? But the kids are like, well, it should be three or four, right? I mean, Washington's getting four. It just depends on your view. And so what we do is our view is, is God is different than us. Psalm 90, I, man, I couldn't have planned to look at something. If I knew this was happening, I wouldn't have come up with that. So back to 2 Peter chapter 3. So he is saying in 2 Peter, he's saying, look, he reminds us of what Moses said. He's going back, he's going back way, way. He's going back there and says, look, a day is like a thousand years to God, okay? Then he says, verse 9, really just looking at a few verses here, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Look, if you are looking from our point of view, you're saying, when is Jesus coming back? I mean, what, we're, we're like 2,000 plus years away from Jesus' crucifixion? 2,000 years. 2,000 years. That is a long time. So he says, guess what? It's like two days to God. He hasn't even gotten settled in. He just got back. He and the father are still having lunch. Stop looking at it like you're God. We're constantly reminded from Scripture that the world does not revolve around us. The Lord is patient towards us. And he said, here is why the Lord has not returned. You want to know? Do you want to know why Jesus hasn't returned? I'm going to tell you right now. Because God is still showing his mercy. The Lord is not slow when fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's slowness is mercy upon you and your family and your neighbors. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, this sometimes when you were a, a kid, but maybe you did something wrong. And your teacher or your parent tried to give you time to think about it. I'm going to give you a little time to think about what you just did. Now, what was that time supposed to? It wasn't supposed to be planning your escape. The time was meant for you to, to own up to your guilt and confess. What is happening in this time of patience is God is giving as many people that he has created in his image an opportunity to be restored with their creator. If I just wait a little longer. God love is shown in 
the salvation of his creation, not wishing that any should perish. Let me just ask you, I mean, I hope not, but I hope there's nobody in your mind where you're going, I could care less if they're saved. I don't, I'm not worried about them. You know what? Be careful because God is. That's why he hasn't come back to get you. He wants to see people's relationship restored. And God's love is found when we repent. And repent, it says that all should reach repentance. Repentance. Now, let me just say, I always say this with my, with my students. Does it say there that we should pray a prayer? Does it say there we should check a card? Does it say there we should raise our hand? You want a relationship with Jesus Christ? It starts with a repentance. And repentance has two parts. It's not just saying sorry, although there's an aspect of confessing our sin. But the other part of repentance is it means to turn around. It's to Now, does that mean that we're perfect? No, but it means we repent and we try to move away from that stuff. We repent. When we talk about the return of Christ, remember that the Lord is not like us. Second, remember the Lord is patient towards us. Then look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Um, the, the, the Lord's coming is going to surprise us. Now, look, I, I hold, and please hear me here, I hold to the church's doctrinal statement, okay? But I'll tell you right now, as far as it comes to end times, I would not bet my salvation on it. You know what? The Pharisees and Sadducees thought they had pretty much the coming of the Messiah figured out. They were pretty good Bible scholars of their days. They missed it. All of them. In fact, some non-Jewish Bible study guys in the East, they figured it out when the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't. They came to worship Jesus as a child. So maybe we got it figured out. I am not going to claim that I know the mind of God. I would not bet my salvation on it. I wouldn't even bet my paycheck on it. I wouldn't bet you a coffee at Starbucks. But what I do know is that Christ is returning. And he says here, basically, it's not what you think. Now, now he's not talking about our different timelines. He's just saying, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Guess what you don't know? It's not on your calendar. Oh, the thief is coming on Thursday night. No. You don't don't plan for that. You don't know it. It just comes and you go, whoa, what just happened? His return will be sudden. It's going to be sudden. But hear this, what what Peter is saying in light of all the questions is that that Christ's return is certain. It's definitely, it's happening. It's just going to happen suddenly and it 
It could happen today. It could happen in a thousand years. I don't know. You say another thousand years? Yeah, day three for God? Boy, that kind of fits. Never mind. I won't go into that. And sometimes the return of Jesus is just not quite like we picture here. And so <clears throat> I want to address this new heavens and this new earth and this burning up just a little bit um, because it's, it's a little confusing. And so wh what, is this, what is this all based on? Uh, first of all, uh, the witness of the apostles, which we've seen here in chapter three. This isn't on your notes, but we have the apostles' faith. They're like saying, this is what's going to happen Here's what, you know, we learned from Jesus. This is what we're passing on to you. And then we have the heavenly perspective. Look, God doesn't operate the same way that you operate. He doesn't think the same way you think. His timing is different than yours. And then we have all the, the reality, these warnings in Scripture that, that follow all through all these different things. And so we, we just have a different picture. And the problem is, and what happens is when we put all these stories together, uh, they just, they, they always don't fit as neat of a puzzle as we want them to. And I, I was listening to a great podcast this week, and uh, it was Tim Mackey from Bible Project. I, I'm a fan of his, and, and he was talking about this end time stuff, and I, I meant to grab some, but in a teaching thing, he put up some pictures of political cartoons like you get from like the, the big newspapers, you know, these really kind of and I, it was, uh, he had done this uh, four years ago, and so it was during the last election, and he had a political cartoon from each person, Trump and Hillary, on there. And, you know, there was, like, in, the, in one of the cartoons, he was explaining it, and, uh, you know, there was uh, uh, caricatures of the, of, the, of the two candidates, right? There was a donkey and an elephant. Uh, at one point, the donkey was kicking Hillary off the stage or stomping on her, and somebody was dressed like a Jedi, Okay, now I don't know, but he shows it to the audience and he says, do I need to explain this to you? I says, no. Now, what if you were reading that 2,000 years from now? Would somebody need to explain that to you? Yeah, why is a donkey kicking that person? Why is the one person, what is that sword they have in their hand? Like they're all cultural stuff that we read and we go, oh, I understand that. When you read the book of Revelation, it's like a political cartoon. The caricatures and the people and the things that are in that, the original readers go, oh, I get that. And you and I go, can somebody give me the cliff notes? Because they just don't always fit in there. So it's sudden. It's not, it's not what we think. And so when we read this, let me read it again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I think we can all picture that. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. Now, wait a second. So many of us have this picture that at some point in time, I don't know how God's going to do it, that all the heavens are going to be destroyed and the whole earth is going to be destroyed and then we get something all new. And we don't know what that's going to be like. But earlier on, I said, let's picture these two things colliding together, the heavens and the earth. Sometimes new means restored. Sometimes fire means refined. See, some of these pictures aren't exactly how we picture them in other passages. This is one of those passages where it goes, man, it just sounds like we're, all these things are just kind of going to happen. Now, what we hear from this is that the heavens will disappear. Okay, we had, I just read uh, 
Oops, I'm pushing the wrong button again. Okay? Um, The heavens will disappear. Don't think of heaven as God's place will disappear, the sky that separates heaven and earth. Whatever the separation is between God's place and our place, that's going to disappear. Okay? There's these really great videos going along. My dog's too dumb to do it, but there's these great videos that are going on. I don't know if you've seen these. They're going around, and somebody, like, gets by a door, and they hold up a blanket. Their dog's, like, in the hallway. Have any of you guys seen this? And then they... They drop the blanket and they go into another room and somebody's videotaping the dog's response like, <gasps> you know, magic trick. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Whatever is separating between God and us, whatever is blocking our view of him, that is going to disappear. And if you could imagine just your last week or month or year of how you've thought and, and treated different people, and sins that you've done, and things that you've considered, and all of a sudden, that is just completely wiped away, and we're face-to-face with God, that's going to seem like fire. That's going to be like, oh, no. And so he says, look, the heavens are going to disappear, that, that separation. Now, look at the verse here. Let me kind of uh, give you some uh, language here to the best of my ability. Day of the Lord will be like a thief. We get that. The heavens will pass away. What's separating the heaven and the earth is going to pass away. And the heavenly bodies, heavenly bodies will be burned up. The Greek word is, is stosia. Keep pushing the wrong button. And some of your translations say elements. Um, I don't like heavenly bodies. I think, again, heaven here uh, or the universe. So it could be universe. Um, it could be... Uh, um, the, the heavenly bodies, uh, how the ESV translate it. But what he is doing here is he's quoting Isaiah. And it's Isaiah uh, 34.4. All the stars of heaven will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. We sang that this morning. The sky rolled up like a scroll. Again, Picture whatever it is that's separating our view of what God is doing in the heavens. His space versus our space. And he is saying, whatever that is, I'm going to roll it up. And we are face to face. It's going to be whatever that, you know, I just feel like God is, I feel like he's so distant. And some of you are going, I just wish I felt closer to God. Just remember, face-to-face is pretty scary with God. So deal with your stuff before he gets here. All the stars. That he, so here's what, here's what he is saying. In fact, in Isaiah, just so you get the picture here, um, we, sometimes we see this, we go, oh, yes, yay, Jesus is coming. And that's true. Don't get me wrong. Maranatha is a, an old Christian word. It means, come, Lord, come. Okay? But he goes on further in Isaiah to say this, my sword, this is is God, was drunk in its fill in the heavens. See it descends in judgment. Sometimes when we talk about Jesus coming and we say, why is he taking so long? Remember when he comes and turns on the light. Those who are not right with God will want to run. He is waiting so that we have time to repent. 
and everything, he says here uh, in verse 10 then, the earth and the works are done, it will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare. Um, in Isaiah, uh, it says, the Lord is um, angry with the nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them. So how do we apply this to our life today? Um, if you believe this book, the Bible, Jesus' return is certain. And his return brings with it judgment. God will peel back the sky and everything will be laid bare before God. Therefore, with the time that we have left, make your life right with God. He is waiting for you to say, I've, done, I've tried it myself, it doesn't work. I recognize that I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Receive him as your Lord and Savior, and to the best of your ability, follow him. Am I saying you're going to be perfect? No. Your pastor is not perfect. Encourage others to make their lives right before God. Look, if, if you are of that view that we're getting close to the tribulation and you're watching the things in Israel and you're watching the things that are happening in the news and you're saying, I think Jesus is coming soon and you're not knocking on your neighbor's door, then you've missed the whole point of Scripture. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but I know he's waiting for a reason. And that reason is so that we can share Christ with as many people as possible. And out of love, we say, Lord, your kingdom come. But until it comes, out of love, we go and share his kingdom with others. And I think most importantly, church, we need to live as people that know that one day our lives will be exposed. That we'll be laid bare before him. You know... In the quietness of our own heart, in the privacy of our own home, um, in the things that we have fallen into, we just say, well, you know, doing the best I can, I'm trying, um, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, um, whoever that's, we always have a so-and-so in our life, that person, well, at least I'm not like them. But if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, If you knew this was your last day, I wonder if you would live a little differently. There's an old poem. I didn't pull it out. Some of you have heard it many times. There's an old poem that uh, we learned as, as kids. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, you know, the idea was Jesus, would you put the magazines that are on your counter? Would you go, I don't know if I should have those at me, those mag, you know, would you have to dust off your Bible? Would you listen to the same music? Would you use the lang same language around your kids? Would your topic at the dinner table be different if Jesus were there? Would you have to clear out some things from your pantry? Would you eat a little different, drink a little different if Jesus were there? If we answer yes to any of those, the whole point of the story 
is that one day, Jesus is coming to your house. And it could be today. Father, thank you for an opportunity to dig into your word. It's a small group of us. There's fear in our culture and in our times. And so we ask that you would help us make this a time that we make things right with you. Lord, even right now, if there's conviction in our heart, I pray that right now, whether people are listening to this later online or whether we're listening to this right now, that if there's something that is tugging at our heart, that we would confess it. If we feel distant from you, that we're not sure if we have a relationship with you, that today is the day that we would repent of our sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if there's things in our life that we have continued to do, even though we know we should stop, that today would be the day we would stop. That we would make the changes. Not because we're earning our way to heaven, but because we're preparing to live in heaven. We're investing in our future. We're getting ready for your return so that we can embrace it with joy. Lord, may you come soon finding your church ready to live in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.